Well, I'm sorry if you were not here last Sunday. You missed, you missed a great sermon last week. And yes, I did preach. But so did some other people too. We had testimonies uh, after the preaching time. And there were several people who shared some really profound things. But one that ties in perfectly with what we're talking about today came from Jim Acock. Jim was reflecting on the loss of his sister-in-law, Joy's precious twin sister, Anne. How difficult that has been for the family. Just the picture of health and happiness just before Thanksgiving and then just before Christmas. Gone. And in the midst of, of the pain of dealing with the loss of one who is so dear to the entire family, they've also been having to deal with all the issues that come along with moving Joy's 96-year-old mother from the home that she and her husband lived in. She, she and her husband both moved to an assisted living facility. And because of the space, a number of things had to be left behind. And it was agonizing watching the choices that had to be made as a lifetime of possessions and memories had to be left behind. Jim, of course, was focusing on, at 84 years of age, how the Lord is reflecting upon him the brevity of this life and how important it is to use every single day in your walk with the Lord because one day you're going to leave it all behind. If you were forced to make that kind of a decision, what would you leave behind? If you had to move from one facility to a much smaller facility and you had to leave it all behind, what would you... I would imagine most of you have some sort of a priority list. If, if, if the house catches on fire, what are you going for? Family pictures is generally the first. Well, okay, the women go for the pictures, men go for the golf clubs. But we all have a list, right? We've all got something that we're going to go get in a fire. Even if we haven't thought about it when that happens and we think we've got 30 seconds... We're going to be gathering something. What happens when you're forced to move into an assisted living facility? And not only do you leave stuff behind, you'll never have it again. Or worse, what happens when your mind goes? I try to tell my father that Carolina won a bowl game and he could care less. And yet some of the fondest memories that I have with my father are when he took me to football games at Keenan Stadium in Chapel Hill. It means way, way less than nothing to him right now. Beyond that kind of a painful existence, think about what we take to the grave. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And with the marvels of modern medicine, many times our last years are spent in what could be characterized as anything but living, even if we have our minds. We're at the beginning of a new year. Quick 
transition from this morbid kind of a thought to say it all of a sudden. We're at the new year, and I'm excited about leaving the old stuff behind and looking forward to the new. It's one I, I am the eternal optimist from about December 23rd to about January 15th, somewhere along in there. So I'm still pumped up about this year. I've made some commitments that have already made a difference in the way that I, my life is structured. And most of it has to do with my relationship with the Lord and with, with Jesus. But that spills over to others and, 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 and my relationship to God's Word. But those things that, that often present themselves as real life, such as sports and entertainment and financial security and success in your ministry, your profession, as as determined by somebody else and financial security. All of those things continually sing their siren song to me and lure me back into a life that is real. I'm certain that my story is your story. It's just that some of the details are changed. So so we have choices to make. Either we're going to live this life in a way that our culture has determined meaningful and successful and ultimately end up losing it all, or we're going to die to ourselves as commanded and exemplified by Jesus and the New Testament writers and discover life that is full beyond our wildest imaginations, both in the next one and in this one. It's a choice. Our text this morning is Galatians 2.20. We're going to actually end up there. Uh, we're going to start here. Then we're going to look at a few other places and end up back in, in Galatians 2.20. But first, I want Jim Acock to preach just a teeny portion of that sermon that he preached last week. This part is in the form of a short poem. So, Jim, life is uncertain. Death is sure. Sin is the cause Christ is the cure. Very simple and yet very, very profound. Now, let's stand together, if you would, as we read from God's Word, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is in the middle of a discussion about law and grace, but he says something quite profound about the Christian life. It seems like he's back and forth. It's a dual kind of a nature that we are dealing with and he tells us the way that we are to live. So let's, let's read this out loud together. Read it with me if you would. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Father, we are here today because of that truth that Jesus loved us. You loved us and sent your Son. Jesus gave himself for us. Lord, it's a truth, it's a reality that those of us who belong to you that are called by the name of Jesus, 
have been crucified with Him. Help us to understand what that means today. And as we begin this new year, may we begin it putting aside the things that have been so important to us, but we realize, in fact, we realized a long time ago that they really aren't that important. Teach us the truth in your word about true life. It is only found as we die to ourselves. And then help us to apply that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I've already confessed, and you knew anyway, I'm a sports fan, and I particularly love football. I just, I love the game. The more I think about it, the, the greater I think it is. It's just the best game. And it's always interesting when, when a team that is clearly superior to another team, and everybody says, this team is going to win, comes out and, and gets beaten. Has that happened recently? Maybe within the last 24 hours? Uh, and it's always interesting to listen to the coach of the team that should have just wiped the field with this other team. He always comes in and says, you know, he'll often say something like, this game is a game of fundamentals. Blocking, tackling, center putting the ball in the hands of the quarterback, receivers running the right routes. Fundamentals, just basics. We didn't do any of that today, and we deserve to lose, and lose we did. It's a game of fundamentals. First and foremost, now talent goes a long way after you get the fundamentals down. I mean, two teams that, that both are strong on, on, on the basics of the game, one with more talent is going to generally win. But if you ignore the basic fundamental principles of the game, doing the things that you're supposed to do technically well, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble. What, what we're going to cover today is basic to what many would call the successful Christian life, although I'm not, I'm not certain that the term successful Christian life is really all that helpful. Really, it just, we should just talk about the life of a Christ follower. That's the way Jesus characterizes it. He doesn't talk about people who are at different levels in their relationship with Him. He says, either you follow me or you don't. And if you follow me, this is what is expected of you. Now, the, the, the epistles say tell us that there are different levels of, of maturity and consequently it looks different. The Christian life looks different in different lives. But there are certain basics that absolutely must be in place if it's going to be the kind of life that is meaningful at all. Everything, everything, whether it's intentional or not, whether we, whether we focus this way or not, everything in the life of a Christ follower, ultimately leads to the cross. It always leads to the cross. We may be going along and life is good. And then we're reminded out of the blue that we're headed for the cross. This life is a life of death, although the promise of life is substantial. Unfortunately, we do not live in a, in, in, a, in a day and age in which deferred gratification is, is a principle, is a, it's an idea that people value very highly. In fact, just think about even how many churches are de designed for your entertainment and for your pleasure and your enjoyment and your fulfillment, your personal fulfillment, rather than calling you to the life of the cross that Jesus calls us to. 
rather than me continuing to talk, let's go directly to the source that puts it quite plainly, God's Word. And, and let's begin with the words of our Savior. In Matthew 10, 37 to 39, Jesus said this to the crowd. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Apparently, Jesus never attended any of the conferences on how to grow your church and, and gather a larger following. In fact, these are words of a maniac or a messiah, one of the two. Are they not? If you don't love me more than your mother, father, your children, in another place, in, in Mark chapter 8, or excuse me, Luke 14, he talks about if you don't love your spouse more, and even me more than your spouse, and even love me more than your own life, you're not worthy of me. Jesus' call is not an easy one. It's a call to die. Interestingly enough, more people have followed him than any figure in human history. Even though his call is so severe, it's just that we have weakened it a great deal in our culture, in our society, because life is so easy for us, but it's always... Look, no matter how easy or hard life is, people try to, try to mute this, 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 this requirement a little bit, try to, try to ease, it, ease off a, a, a little bit. And, and in our day, even though life is so easy, God has His ways of calling us to the cross. It's just that it's such a shock to many of us, because we've... Determined that God is blessing us because life is so good. And then all of a sudden, life is not good. Somebody you thought was utterly faithful to you has been utterly unfaithful to you. A job that you thought you would never lose, you were indispensable to the company, is gone. Just one day out of the blue, your boss comes to you in tears and says, I, we got to talk. Then there's cancer, tumors. And all of a sudden, life is completely different. And we're called to die to ourselves. Now, in verse 37, Jesus is not saying we should not love parents or children. Uh, or in other places, our, our spouse or, or ourself. He's just saying, though, that we've got to love him more or forget it. Isn't that what he says? Love me more than any of these others or just walk away. We got nothing more to talk about. Pretty strong call. Jesus goes on in verse 38 to say that loving him includes following him with our crosses. What he's saying is that if your desire is to follow him, you're not going to be getting ahead in this world. And in fact, if you do get ahead in this world, it's His design because He's chosen to use you in a specific way. And even then, dying to yourself is going to be all the more difficult when you have so many possessions 
and you have so many friends and you have so much respect of the world, dying to yourself is required of you just as it is the humblest servant in the kingdom of God. And it may be more difficult for you than it would be for anybody else. Crucifixion was not only an excruciatingly painful way to die. I, I, would, I would guess that people, especially people of some standing, who died by crucifixion were, crucifixion were far more horrified at the public shame that went along with it than they were with the actual pain and the death itself. It was a very shameful, humiliating death in the eyes of society. And Jesus is saying, if you're not willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. I want to ask you a personal question, and I'm not ashamed to do so. I don't expect you to answer me. Don't answer me. But I do want you to answer this question to yourself. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christ follower? Would you characterize yourself that way? All right, next question. Do you love Jesus more than anyone in the entire world? Do you love Jesus more than you love life itself? Furthermore, would you say that your life is characterized by sacrifice, even when following Jesus where He leads you, can only be accomplished with the supernatural humility of heart? Why should you live such a life when everything in you wants to pursue fulfillment in this life as described not only by society but often by the evangelical church. It's acceptable to live a life that's pretty plush, pretty soft. Long as you pray, long as you go to Bible studies. Long as you show up when you should. Why should we live this life of sacrifice? Well, Jesus gives the rationale for such a demand in verse 39, but... It's not going to be compelling unless you are fully committed to Him. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, we find ourselves, and Jim was not making any comment at all on Joy's mother's spiritual condition nor that of her husband. But that is what happens to us in our spiritual lives. I mean, we live for ourselves And long before we reach 96, we come to a place where we look around and nothing means anything anymore because we've lived in the wrong way. We've lived for the wrong thing. Ultimately, Jesus is saying that if you pursue life in a self-centered way, then you're going to lose it. If, on the other hand, you lose your life for Jesus, and Mark 8 goes on to say, and for the sake of the gospel, you will find it. Jesus is referring to eternal life here, but there is so much application in this life alone about what true life really is if you die to yourself. Now, before you say, oh, I'm good because I'm not self-centered, I want you to just think about the things that hurt you this past week. 
the things that frustrated you this past week, the things that made you angry this past week? Was it a righteous anger? Was it a true spiritual disappointment? Now, I would think it is fair to say that all of us are desperately insecure. We just manifest our insecurities in different ways. Some, it's very evident, and those who are insecure in other ways say, Psh, look at them, you know, look at, look at him, look at her. That is ridiculous. But let Satan shake your tree, you know, and we'll find out how insecure you are as well. It's a part of our fallen condition. When the balance and equilibrium of life is threatened, we're often surprised at the ways we react. Dying to self doesn't mean that I allow myself to be a doormat. But it means much, much more, I think, than I want it to mean. Last week we talked about letting Jesus grow larger in your heart. This is the flip side of that. Perhaps we should have flipped this around, you know, and talked about this last week and then allowed Jesus. Jesus can't grow larger in my heart if my heart is full of me. It's full of my desires, my, my, my hopes and, and, and dreams. So, so here's what I want to do. I want to just give a list. It's not going to be on the screen. I want you to, to get in the, in the place where you reflect the best, whether that's closing your eyes, whether it's fixing your eyes. Put your eyes on the cross if you want to. I just want to give a list, and I want you to think about what dying to self may mean. This is my application, but I'm going to give a chance in just a moment for you to allow the Holy Spirit to make application in your life. To die to myself requires that I be willing to let others have their way sometimes. It means that I don't have to win every argument. In fact, it means that I will avoid arguments many times because I'm dead to myself. I've lost my life in Jesus. It means that I'm going to have to cut something out of my life that I enjoy in order to spend time with the Lord in His Word and in prayer and in service to the Lord. And speaking of service, it may mean that immediately after this service, I'll go to see Keisha Colbreth or Tim Metz and volunteer to serve in children's ministry or in the nursery or fill in the blank for any particular service that the Lord may be calling you to. And service to the body. The body here at Grace Community Church. Dying to self means. It's not. Dying to self. This is not one of those dying to self may mean. Dying to self means. That I give cheerfully to the Lord's work. Even when I don't know how I'm going to pay the bill. You obey God. Let Him take care of your bills. I'm not saying be foolish with your money. But I am saying give to the Lord. Even when you can't afford to. 
It means that I don't get angry when someone cuts me off in traffic and hope that I see him just down the road in front of a police car with flashing lights. See, love rejoices in the truth. It never rejoices in evil. Love is not happy when people who have hurt us get theirs. And you, you have to be dead to self if that's the way you live. Death to self may mean that I let go of what I consider to be the unfair dealings of a friend, especially when the relationship is at stake. That's not always the best thing, but you know what I'm talking about. There are times when something just doesn't seem fair to me. Let it go. That's what dying to self means. It means you don't keep a record of wrongs, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. It means that I have to let my disappointment and bitterness go when an office rival gets a promotion instead of me. <laughs> and many of us think about some of these things. I will be dead when this happens. Well, that's the point, isn't it? That's the point. It may require me to remain in a less than happy marriage. And in fact, to forgive my spouse for hurting me in any number of ways. It may not, but it may. If my marriage is a happy one, most of the time anyway, to die to self means to live for the pleasure of my spouse rather than for, for my own pleasure. It comes back to you in spades when you do that. But it means to live for him or her, not for me. And death to self means that I, I may have to, in fact, I should let go of my dreams and my aspirations for my children. And once again, commit them, my children, to the Lord. You don't ever stop loving them. You don't ever stop trying to direct and help and all that. But at some point, you just got to give it up. But those are just some examples I thought of as I was preparing the message. If indeed the Holy Spirit is present right now, and we know He is, he can do the work in your life if you'll let him. So, so let's do that. Let's just take just a moment. And as you look at the scripture, as you think about what that means, ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it you're calling me this morning to put on the altar, to give up to you? How do you want me to die to myself today? Would you do that just for a moment? Now we're going to go around the room and each one will tell. No, I'm just kidding. It will solidify this commitment, though, if you'll tell somebody. You can tell me. You can tell your home group leader. You can tell your spouse or your parents on the way home what it is that you've given up. And in other words, you're making yourself accountable. Now, <clears throat> thank goodness, if you prayed a while ago, Lord, I give this over to you, it's done for the rest of your... Well, no, that's not true either, is it? I die daily, minute, hour by hour, minute by minute sometimes. It, it, it is a lifelong process. You know, a lot of what we've just talked about involves dying to ourselves in our relationship with others. After many, many years 
uh, uh, practicing biblical thinking and living. The Apostle Paul shared in Philippians 1.21 the place that the Lord had brought him to in his life. And many, many people were opposed to him and friends had abandoned him and all of the, the struggles that we deal with, he, he dealt with. And he came to that place where he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he went on to say right after that, that, look, frankly, I, I would, it, it is preferable to me to go ahead and die at, this, at the hands of the government. Um, I, Paul was in jail. He was either going to be released or he was going to be executed. He said, frankly, I'd just as soon be executed. It'd be far better for me to go on and be with the Lord. However, I sense that God wants me to be here with you. That would be more profitable. So, therefore, I will gladly live my life for Jesus and for you. Okay, now thinking about that, I want to ask you another personal question. And this one may surprise you a bit. You ever been to the place where you didn't care whether you lived or died? not talking about the place where you had suicidal thoughts, although I'm, I'm certain in a, in a group this size, I'm certain some of you have had that. But those of you who don't str- struggle in any way with those kinds of thoughts, I'm sure that some of you have come to the place in your life where you've said, I just don't care. Life is so hard and so difficult, I don't care whether I live or die. Think about the difference sometimes in our feelings about life and death and Paul's feelings about life and death. Paul wanted to die so that he could be with the Lord. Many of us don't care whether we live or die because I'm just tired of this. I'm worn out with it. And clearly when we come to that place, And I've been there, and I never thought I would be at that place. I've been there. Clearly, I was living for myself. I had my plans for life had had been mapped out in a particular way. And God said no. Now, oftentimes when God says no, we think He's saying no. He's not saying it like that. He's just He's saying no. No. I have something better for you, but it doesn't look like, I know it doesn't look like it, but that's why he tells us over and over, life has to go through the cross. It's not real life if it's not flowing from the cross. It's just an illusion that we have that life is so good and then we're 96 and we've got to leave it all behind. You know, the great thing about coming to the realization that I was so disappointed with this life that it meant nothing to me anymore was the realization that I had not died to myself. I wasn't angry with God. I, didn't, I just didn't have the energy to want to, to, to want to wait out the pain until better days would come. And then all of a sudden, it's like, what are you living for? You're living for for happiness and relationships and life to be fun and all of this. I wouldn't have thought of myself living that way, but obviously I was. But second, I found hope in recognizing that the path to vibrant life can only 
be characterized as one in which death to self enables life to occur. Not only does an incalculably better existence await me in heaven, but a much, much better life on this earth is, is available to me if I die to myself. And, and that list that I gave a while ago, every one of those things are hard. Every one of them are hard for somebody. And there are a million more things that go on that list day in and day out. I have the choice. Do I live for myself or do I live for Jesus? And always living for Jesus means that I live for others as well. I don't suppose I know anyone who lives more with an eternal perspective, with eternity in view than my old elementary and high school friend, David Carson. He was a year ahead of me in school. David trusted Christ not long after I did, which was a year or two after he got out of school. He and his wife Pam served as missionaries in Senegal, Africa for several years. And then these last four to five years at least, David has served as worship leader at Fellowship Bible Church in Fuquay. That's the church just below Cooley's. You know, if you're coming in from 401, it's on your right just before you go up the hill to see, to see Cooley's on your, on your right. Um, and uh, Terry Manahan is the pastor there. He's the father of our own Matt Manahan. Is Matt here today? I don't know if Matt's here today. Um, <clears throat> but David has served as worship leader at, at Fellowship Bible Church. And, and, and in the years that he has known Jesus, he's had more of an eternal spec- perspective than anybody I know. In fact, his blog reflects his, his heart, aiming at heaven. And it's been named that for some time. Well, this past May... David was diagnosed with the glioblastoma multiform, the same tumor that took Linda's life. I went to visit David, spent a good bit of time with him Monday morning at Rex Hospital, and then Allison and I went back for another fairly lengthy session Monday afternoon. They got to meet Allison. They hadn't met Allison before. David was there because of complications. If if you've ever dealt with someone, if you've had cancer, especially a brain tumor, there are all kinds of complications that come. In fact, Pam wrote on the blog last week, she said, you know, I, I understand the, the tumor, I understand all of the progression of the tumor, I just did not expect all of these complications. But he was doing an experimental drug, Avastin, that we had hoped Linda would be able to get to because it was very promising, but it's an anticoagulant, it, 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 you bleed with um, Avastin, and um, so he a blood vessel ruptured in his stomach, and he and he had surgery. And on Monday we were there, and he was trying to get past that. And then Tuesday, he took a turn for the worst. He looked like he was slowly, slowly recovering, but he took a turn for the worst. For the worst, and then um, Pam wrote this on the blog on Friday morning. She began by quoting. Luke 9.24, same thing Jesus was saying that we read a while ago. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. And then she says this. Over 38 years ago, David saw the truth of those words and life changed forever for him. For the past 36 and a half years, I have lived with him and seen his commitment to Christ Christ has been his life. These past few days have been surreal in many ways for me. I wonder if it is like this for everyone facing the death of a loved one from a hospital bed. 
The doctors and nurses come in, examine him, and order the next round of tests or medications, trying to save a life. So many people cling to this life and take extraordinary measures to hold on to it. David has always lived with the hope and assurance of the next life. So he is more than ready to leave this life and all of its limitations and bodily suffering. His biggest concern has been for me. God has given us the most awesome, wonderful marriage where we truly have been one. I know how passionately my husband has loved me and still loves me. But he has always loved Jesus more. In this I find great comfort. What greater gift could a husband give his wife than to love their Savior more. Amen, women? And amen, men, for the wife to do the same, to love Jesus more than she loves you. My heart breaks as I write these words, for life without the dearest of God's blessings will not be easy. And yet I know I will be all right, for God has promised to never leave me or forsake me. We don't know if God is going to take David in the next few days or not. But we are at peace with whatever God does. There are two people who love Jesus more than life. As of yesterday, David is actually a little better. Didn't read this morning, but I'm telling you, it's just like this. That life is like that. David Carson is dying well. And Pam is letting him go as painful as it is because they died to self a long time ago. Another good friend of mine, Doris Weathers. Some of you know Rupert and Doris Weathers in Fuquay. Doris um, had some complications from a minor surgery that created enormous intestinal issues and much of her intestine, almost all of it was removed. Her intestines were removed. And, and I went to, to visit Doris the day that I met Allison, October 7th, 2008, 9, 9, 2009, that's it. October 7th, 2009. Remember it like it was yesterday. Um, I do remember it, all about it. That day is permanently etched in my memory and and I went to see Doris and um, she was lying on the hospital bed and she said old devil's been trying to kill me but he can't kill somebody who died a long time ago wow and she meant it David and Pam certainly and Doris have struggled to stay on the altar, but every day they've considered their lives as not their own. Is it possible for us? Sure, but it ain't easy. Galatians 2.20, we'll end up right where we started. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It is a fact if I belong to Jesus, I am crucified with Christ. I didn't crucify myself. 
He did it. I have to acknowledge it. Instead of choosing, as I often do, to live for myself. And thinking little about dying to self and living for Jesus and others. But it's a fact. I have been crucified with Christ. And yet, I'm alive. And if I've yielded to Him, He is the one living through me. But think about His life. Where did it lead to? The cross. And so Jesus is going to be consistently leading me to die to myself. And giving me opportunities. Fenelon, who I've quoted so many times, and so many of you have found great blessing in his writings, said, as soon as one person who irritates you is taken out of the picture, God will send you another one immediately. How true! It, it's just that way. You know, somebody has moved out and you say, Hello! Oh, oh. But you know what? That death is a good thing. You remember why Jesus died? He loved me. And he gave himself for me in my place. Death is a part of life, is it not? We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to think about it. In fact, who was it? Oh, uh, David and Pam, when I was there Monday morning, they said, please... Please tell us what, it, what it's like these last few days. Nobody will tell us. We're not scared of death. But nobody wants to talk about it. Just tell us what it's like in the last days. But there's far more than physical death at play in our lives. The moment we are born, we begin to die. in an attempt to save our lives, to get the most out of it, for what is here for us, we lose it. Yet when we give ourselves over to Him and we die to our own personal desires and goals, die to the need to always be right, to make personal happiness and success the highest pursuit and goal, dying in the drive to seek security of all kinds, all kinds of security, Above sacrifice, when we die to all of those things, and these natural impulses, we live. And only then do we live. Chances are most likely that most of us are kidding ourselves about life. We're hanging on for everything we can, not only to the physical extension of our days on this earth, but for the satisfaction and pleasure and the peacefulness and, and the ease and the recognition and all of these things that are so important to us. It's not real life. It's an illusion. How it all works, I don't know because a lot of our pursuits are very noble, good pursuits. But when, when we're doing them for ourselves rather than for Him, it gets out of whack. Now, you've already identified a need in your life or something in your life that needs the cross. In just a moment, um, David in the 
team are going to come and going to come and lead us in in a song surrender and look we're starting this year saying lord i want to give my life to you rarely do we do this but if you want to come this morning up here and pray that'd be awesome if you want to just right where you are say lord i am giving this over to you but i if i do that in the flesh i'm going to have it back before i walk out of these doors not not to mention the others. I'll have it right back. You are going to have to do this for me. Help me to understand what it means to yield to the crucifixion that is already a reality. I am crucified with Christ, but I live. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Let's stand together while I pray and the band comes.